Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. And today we have another episode of Stand Up Tragedy Replayed, where we revisit some performers from the Stand Up Tragedy archives. Today we've got three people who do spoken word. The people who are performing today aren't just people who who perform poetry. They're also people who we like to think of as friends. You could say old friends, if you like, as some of them have been with us right from the start um, when we were in the Leicester Square Theatre. What we found at Stand Up Tragedy is that performers like coming and, and working and performing. We try and put things together that contrast and complement each other and we try to put together evenings of performers that are exciting and interesting and diverse and take audiences to different places. That's a nice position for a performer to be in because they can explore something in a kind of environment that is open to that exploration and they also relish a chance to do dark stuff we're going to be showcasing that work in the live shows that we've got coming up in 2014 in fact stand up tragedy starts back again on the 12th of december this year with a fundraiser for arts emergency but we're gonna then have themed nights all the way through monthly in 2014 and we're going to be swapping between the hackney attic and the dog star now let's listen to some performers that we've had at stand up tragedy if you haven't managed to get to a show this gives you a really great idea of the kind of thing that you would see happening live on our stage first Here's Superbard. He's been performing for Stand Up Tragedy since our first shows at the Leicester Square Theatre in 2012. And since then, we've had him back. We had him at the Dog Star in Brixton. We had him at the Hackney Attic. And he even joined us during our run at the Edinburgh Festival. We really, really enjoy what he does. This year, the thing that he's been mostly doing is The Flood, which was a one-man show that he did up in Edinburgh. Three weeks said this about The Flood. An engrossing tale of destruction, cultish indie bands and Coco Pop. The Flood is a multimedia story for the 21st century. As I said, Stand Up Tragedy has been watching The Flood develop over the years. We've seen bits of it tried out at our early performances and we saw it get put together and performed amazingly in Edinburgh. So here's Superbard at the Dogstar in Brixton in March earlier this year. Hello, um, I am going to be reading a story from uh, that ebook, uh, The Flood, uh, and I, I've prepared so well uh, that I am reading it from paper rather than from the iBook, but never mind. Um, this is the wonderful Nikki. Uh, can we all say hello, Nikki? Hello, Nikki! Uh, essentially, I tell my stories with, with music, um, but I can't really sing. Uh, so, this is Nikki who's going to do the singing. Uh, another massive cheer for her, please. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, uh, everyone is having troubles with this mic today, aren't they? It's like I'm jumping in and ruining everything. Um, this is called Brixton's Afloat, uh, and it goes a little bit like this. Hopefully. Now that Brixton's afloat, we lay buddy next to mine and we'll sink to the bottom of 
December 23rd, wore red tie. Sev concerned with my attitude at work. If Paul Fitchett will insist on arguing to the point of insanity that regional variation is more than could be attributed to random error, I will have to drown out his protestations with cold, hard figures. Got home. Emma was out, so played with the open weather station data sets. Some unexpected correlations. We'll investigate further tomorrow. Had Cocoa Pops for dinner. December 24th, wore blue tie, half day because of Christmas, Sev thankfully not there, Emma similarly still absent at her mother's, checked and rechecked the data. My thesis is, given a strict regression line to rainfall, presuming no statistical error in the measurement, in a year's time the water levels will rise to an unsustainable level, putting most of the world's population underwater. Wrapped Emma's present. December 25th, wore novelty Christmas tie. Emma got me a jumper. I got her a slow cooker. She seemed disappointed. I don't know why. She asked for a slow cooker. I'm now sure the world is going now to end. Now that brick stands afloat, will you lay your body next to mine? And we'll sink to the bottom of the sea. Can we have a bit more volume, please? For no more, darling, we should smother ourselves in brine. Now that brick stands afloat upon January the 13th, wore red tie. New data coming in on trend confirming hypothesis have published my findings online, including my correct predictions for January and for the forthcoming months. Have had a sensible quantity of hits and replications. Office thinks it's ghosts in the data. Emma is uninterested, but is impressed with the analysis itself. Well, they all are, except for Sev. January the 14th, Saturday, wore no tie. Sight has equal amount of followers as doubters, but have realised that those who also seem most impressed also believe in homeotherapy. Have responded to each of the doubters in turn, detailing why each of their arguments are flawed. The average man on the street is still not aware of my research. Of course, in less than a year's time, the evidence will present itself in a rather more <laughs> physical form. But I was expecting before then to attain universal consensus. January the 15th, wore red tie. Emma was passive to my research, but today she turned into an obstacle. Rather than being a supporting wife, she tells me she's concerned and wants me to stop with the apocalypse thing. Must strengthen my argument until it is irrefutable. Took clipboard down to Brixton Market with full set of data and evidence. Several men and one woman shouted at me. One man, dark green bobble hat, red eyes, took the clipboard from me and walked off. He walked. He didn't even run. January the 16th. Wore red tie. Bought new clipboard. I sent an email to all contacts in the office database, asked them to forward it on to spread the message, need to gather a critical mass of support. Sev took me into his office. An abuse of company resources, he said. I said, the world is going to end. Was fired. Had Cocoa Pops for dinner. Every scientist had his face rejection. When the world gives me my Nobel Prize and I am chief statistician to a shanty city on the sea, I will hire Sev as my assistant. To the bottom of the sea. For no 
February the 17th. Wore jeans with hole in knee. Megaphone in Brixton going down well. Had a long chat with a man who had a big grey beard. He was convinced it was biblical. Told him there's no evidence. I bought a boat and named it Emma. February the 18th. Wore jeans with hole in knee. And behind on mortgage. Money is a limited construct with no worth once the flood comes. I've started to stock up on supplies for the boat. Neighbours called Emma an eyesore. Neighbours are a construct with no worth once the flood comes. February the 19th. Wore jeans with hole in knee. Fish people read this diary and realise I was right. My bed still feels cold at night. Copernicus must have felt lonely. I miss Emma making me cocoa pops. Now that Brixton's afloat, we we'll lay your body next to mine. And we'll sink to the bottom of the sea. Get down. For now, my darling, we should smother ourselves in brine. Now that Brixton's afloat upon the sea. March 23rd, wore waterproof trousers, and it's been raining for four days straight now. Heavy rain, just like I said. Fierce Brannock has been building a huge boat in Southampton. She knows if no one else does. New owners of the house trying to get me to evict my boat. Told them they are the ones that will be evicted. Evicted by Mother Earth, the ultimate landlord. They didn't laugh. Most people are still working, carrying on as if nothing is happening. Hunter's Boots have announced bumper profit. Out there, they're buying suits and iPhones as the world fills apart. I feel calm, stocked up on UHT milk. March 30th, wore waterproof trousers. The water's now the first story in Brixton. Emma rang me and said she was scared. Asked if I could come to her mum's, I said, does this mean you think I'm right? Even after everything, she wasn't sure. People blame everyone and no one. They're even blaming Paul Fitchett. Some come to me, swimming, see me happily floating and think, now there's an idea. A man offered me a million pounds just for my life. He begged and bribed and threatened. I pushed him away from my boat with a stick. He drowned. Now that brings we lay your body next to mine and we'll sink to the bottom ready to join in. For now, my darling, we should smother ourselves in brine. Wait now that Brixton's afloat upon the sea. Now that Brixton's afloat, we lay your body next to mine, and we'll sink to the bottom of the sea. July 23rd, wore wetsuit. My model predicted that the flood would subside and it hasn't. Not sure what this means for my Nobel Prize. <laughs> A boat appeared on the horizon, tried hailing it, dusted off my megaphone and shouted. Haven't spoken to anyone in months. No one was on board. Now the internet's gone, they wouldn't have known who I was anyway. They wouldn't have known that I was right. I'll have to give myself an award. I was right, though, running out of Cocoa Pops. 
Thank you very much. <laughs> Superbard always has more projects on the go and you can find him at www.superbard.co.uk or at the Superbard on Twitter. Superbard's real name is George Lukowitz and he's been doing some shows on Resonance FM that you should look out for. Some of them are available as podcasts. His last one was called Superbard at the Bottom of the Ocean and that was really good. Check it out. Have a look over on Resonance FM's website and look out for more of it coming live in the future. George hosts a variety night called The Flea Circus that happens regularly at the Dog Star in Brixton. So have a look out for the next one of those. Next, we have another of our favourite performers, Richard Tyrone Jones, who's also been on Stand Up Tragedy since back in 2012. His show, Richard Tyrone Jones's Big Heart, which was a live spoken word and stand-up show about his experiences of heart failure, which is one of the reasons why he fits so well with our night. That show is a very tragic story, but it's told in a very entertaining way. And also organising regular, utter spoken word events, which is a spoken word night that he hosts. And then Richard Tyrone Jones's Big Heart was adapted into a three-part BBC Radio 4 spoken word sitcom. Here we have him performing an earlier version of a part of that show. This is what he performed for us at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 4th of June in 2012. Thank you, Sandra Bradley. My name is Richard Tyrone Jones and in case any of you are wondering, Hayley is not my sister. <laughs> uh, I am a poet, and as if uh, being a poet and ginger wasn't social disadvantage enough, I also have chronic heart failure. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking, Richard, you're far too young and dashing to have heart failure. Uh, you must be late 20s. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, but that's what I thought, um, and that was partly the problem, you see. I was labouring under the misapprehension that heart failure, that only affects really old people, like... 40 or 50 year olds. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't as if uh, my body hadn't been giving me uh, a few t- hints uh, for months. Uh, for example, the uh, fainting fits, worthy of the heroine of an Edwardian novel, and uh, my corset wasn't even done at that time. <laughs> uh, the uh, migraines, uh, after such intensity that the Met Office was actually thinking about beginning to name them, and uh, the phlegm, ah, the phlegm, how to do justice to its frothy richness. Well, let's just say that every time I (coughs) hawked some of it up, I was reminded, it's been ages since I've had a McDonald's milkshake. Uh, And what was it that could have caused the most vital organ in my body to rebel? So the second most vital (laughs) organ in my body to rebel against me like a cardiac libya. Could it have been my pre-existing uh, atrial fibrillation, basically a, a regularly irregular, essentially a bebop, heartbeat? No, couldn't have been that. My GP had told me to uh, just uh, cut down on the caffeine and uh, take aspirin regularly, which I was doing when I remembered. Uh, could it have been my experimental sampling of the now-banned industrial plant food stimulant methadrone, also known as Meow Meow. Nah, it couldn't have been that. I was always careful only to ingest just enough to annoy the Daily Mail. 
and no more. <laughs> uh, could it have been the fact that to mark my 30th birthday, uh, one month before I was hospitalised, I actually held my own mock funeral, with me lying motionless in a coffin throughout, flanked on either side by women in black holding aloft fatherless ginger children, <laughs> with hymns, tributes from friends, flowers, and a surprisingly convincing vicar. No, it turns out that I just wasn't drinking enough. Uh, <laughs> but, um, they didn't realise uh, what was wrong with me uh, until uh, I eventually had uh, an echocardiogram. Has anybody in the room had an echocardiogram? Ah, there we go. I hope it um, came out, you know, okay. Um, you have the same thing. Oh my goodness. Well, don't, don't give anybody any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, I had an echocardiogram, and it's quite an intimate experience, somewhat homoerotic, depending on who does it, obviously. Um, somehow religious, because it was the first time that I'd ever looked inside my own body, and definitely reminiscent of the 1986 Dennis Quaid film, Inner Space. <laughs> so here's a poem about it. Echo. Strong black hands in thin white gloves. Grease my chest and apply the probe. Like gazing down into a modernist cathedral. From the atrial vaults we see the flapping tapestries of the mitral valves like spastic butterflies or the clapping of white Baptists who can't quite keep in time. <laughs> we descend to the floor of this bloody transept. Our view screen that of a bathosphere trip, nine fathoms deep into your own corpus. Track left, enhance, I imagine Dante in a submarine, battling an exosuited henchman. The soundtrack. A wobble board, digitised, a, a clashing red blood cell tied. Was that a cross on the wall? An elder priest walks in and advises, I take a look at that again. It's no cross, more like a puckered anus blowing us a kiss. A roadblock, a crater, a heart attack in training, a stroke gestating. In my mind's ear, I hear the guy whisper, blood clot. <laughs> it's a grainy picture, but it's black. And white. I won't be going to that party tonight. Of course, the echocardiographer didn't really whisper blood class. <laughs> that would have been incredibly uh, unprofessional, not to mention racially stereotypical <laughs> as well. Uh, but I, I, I did next see uh, a rather effete doctor who seemed to enjoy kind of comfortably patting my leg just a bit too much. <laughs> Perhaps he was just trying to distract my attention away from the fact that he was telling me that, yes, I had this clot uh, inside my atrium which could break off and cause a heart attack or a stroke elsewhere in my body and that I'd have to be admitted. I thought, this is going to be the worst health news that I'm going to have for a very long time. That will teach me. Because he then went on to describe how my heart had also become dilated, stretched by just two centimetres, but your heart is only actually the size of a fist anyway. The fist and my centre was unclenching. And so, into hospital 
and uh, put on uh, lots of enzyme enzyme put on lots of enzyme inhibitors, which uh, affect your ability to speak. And, um, uh, beta blockers to hopefully kind of calm your heart down and stop it from uh, damaging itself. But um, uh, oh, yeah, so many fond hospital memories to share with you. Uh, guys in the audience, if any of you think that, uh, if you've seen Carry On Doctor and think that uh, being so weak uh, that you actually have to pass your motions into what's essentially a papier-mâché hat uh, and then have your uh, posterior attended to by a nurse, uh, no matter how buxom she is, and she was very buxom, if you think that that is in any way an erotic experience, <laughs> You are wrong, <laughs> especially when the nurse in question doesn't actually do that thorough a job of uh, cleansing your anal cleft of the uh, by now, frankly, orange, a wet cement-like aki mumu. That's that's the correct scientific term for diarrhoea, aki mumu. Uh, and uh, here's another tip: um, saying to that nurse as she uh, attends to your posterior, oh. Some guys would probably get off on something like this, but not me, I can assure you. It's probably not going to reassure her to be quite honest. Um, but despite um, all of these problems, uh, I was beginning to feel slightly better. Uh, that was until they made the mistake of uh, sending in an incongruously foxy uh, Italian-American medical student uh, to take my case history. Uh, well, you can guess what happened when I tell you that the uh, title of this poem uh, is Heartstopper. The wards, tourniquets, sport smiling cartoon Draculas. All night, old men's alarms have burst my dreams. A med student, red-nailed, raven-haired, immaculate, asks so many questions, it's like she wants to date me. She reads my wrist with slow, sharp-clawed precision, then joins the rounds. If I were well, I'd love to rip her skirt off. And at that thought, dark lightning strikes my chest. <laughs> Sweat drenched, I pour for oxygen. Panic button, it's like my plug's been pulled. Good timing. <laughs> and that is made me slightly forget what came next. Uh, it's like, Oh, hang on, I'll start that again. It's only two minutes anyway. Right. The wards, tourniquets, sports smiling, cartoon Draculas. All night's old men's alarms have burst my dreams. A med student, red-nailed, raven-haired, immaculate, asks so many questions it's like she wants to date me. She reads my wrist with slow, sharp-clawed precision, then joins the rounds. If I were well, I'd love to rip her skirt off. And at that thought, Dark lightning strikes my chest. Sweat drenched, I pour for oxygen. Panic button, it's like my plug's been pulled. Breath fades so fast, I whimper. Mom, I love you with my last. But the heart monitor nurse bursts in, rips back the curtain, shouts out, he's had a gap! The rest dash back, ask the student, can you get his shirt off? She panics, how? They just cut it like on television. I'm flailing, failing, they're about to defibrillate me. Clear, but two docs have already stabbed in cannulas. Adrenaline stakes slow paths through my bloodstream. I'm alive, but empty, trembling, vasovascular. Well, the good thing 
about that episode was that uh, they gave me my own room to recover in, <laughs> shaking like a hostage. Uh, the bad thing about that experience was that, uh, well, for, for, the, for the purposes of writing a solo show about it anyway, my heart hadn't actually stopped. Uh, it just slowed down a lot in between beats. Uh, so I'm not sure if that means that I do get to boast, yeah, I almost died, or just, yeah, I almost, almost died. Uh, but either way, let me tell you that uh, four seconds is a long time when you're waiting for your heart to start beating again. Uh, and, um, oh, well, uh, yes, the, it turns out that the T-shirt that I was wearing that got cut up was worn by a similarly morbid performance artist friend of mine, uh, called Charlotte Young, and uh, for ages I've been wondering what to put uh, in the gaps on this t-shirt that would be witty and do justice to it, uh, but luckily my near-near-death experience solved that problem, and now, like a poem in itself, it reads, uh, my heart almost died of dilated cardiomyopathy, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt cut up by the crash team. <laughs> That was Richard Tyrone Jones. Richard will be performing for Stand Up Tragedy team member Charlie Lucy Harrison at her night. Her show is called See You Next Thursday and it features new comedians starting out plus some really excellent headliners. And Richard Tyrone Jones is going to be one of those headliners at the next show, which is this Thursday, confusingly. This Thursday, you can see See You Next Thursday at the Royal George. This Thursday, the 7th of November, go to See You Next Thursday at the Royal George in Soho. Richard is also going to be performing as one of an amazing lineup that we've got booked in for our Arts Emergency Fundraiser on the 12th of December. That night is going to be Tragic Christmas and it's going to feature lots of performers telling us some Christmas tragedy. If you've enjoyed Richard or any of the other people performing in today's podcast, have a listen back to our previous podcast and you can hear more from them. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes and we're on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Subscribe, like, review even if you fancy giving us a review. It's always great to get feedback from people and it helps our iTunes ratings and rankings and all of that stuff. So if you like us, let people know. Time for one more performer and here we have Sophia Walker who has been a huge supporter of Stand Up Tragedy. We really are big fans of her. Our third performer of Spoken Word is Sophia Walker who was one of the big success stories of the Edinburgh Fringe. Her show Around the World in Eight Mistakes was being recommended by words of mouth everywhere you went in Edinburgh and it received amazing reviews from the critics and she won the title of BBC Edinburgh Fringe Poetry Slam Champion 2013 which is amazing and she also was voted the best and most popular spoken word show in the PBH spoken word section. Here she is at the Hackney Attic performing a poem which ended up a part of that amazing Edinburgh show. Stand up tragedy. Um, so, first things first, my accent's gonna accidentally switch over the next 10 minutes. I apologize. I'm English, I grew up in America, and 
it's a really weird thing being taken for an American in Europe sometimes, because like, we have this odd fascination with America, and it's not to do with our politics. Predominantly, we are fascinated by American high school and whether it is actually like the movies. And, well, the reality of American high school is that it's fucking tragic. So, uh, this is an entirely true story from 10th grade. This is called uh, Fast Times at Privileged High. Picture the scene. Eight kids aged 16 and an obese drama teaching liquor fiend piled into a minivan headed to see Tiny Alice by Edward Albee. Alyssa sits in the front passenger seat because Teach has a thing for the teen beauty. Lily and me are sprawled in the back, barely paying attention when we hear Alyssa say, so I told my mom I needed $500 because Lily needed... If I finish the sentence, it won't make sense. Alyssa needs putting in context. Alyssa's the kind of girl who bursts into Indian chants in the middle of a biology exam. You're sitting there trying to remember if the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell when suddenly you hear, Raghupati Rapataya. Alyssa's the kind of girl who named her winter coat. It was called Hildegard, and she wrote it a dedication in the high school yearbook to Hildegard. You were the best coat ever, and I will love you always. <laughs> Alyssa's the kind of girl who stole her parents' brand new BMW to go joyriding, ignoring the lack of driving license, ignoring stoplights, she stops right in the driver's side door of a 4x4. She backs away. There's barely a scratch. Felice is having none of that. No license. You want I don't call police, you owe me $500 cash. Felice sets a four-week time limit, gets her digits, and lets her split. Each week, she receives voicemails from blocked caller IDs. Alisa, this is Felice. You better be getting my money for me. It reaches week three, and still Alyssa can't get the green. Back to the scene in the back seats, Lily and me alert as can be when we hear Alyssa decree... So I told my mom I needed $500 because Lily needed an abortion. As if a perfectly rational course of action merely mentioned in passing, Lily nearly passed out. But a more than passing glance at the moral stance of most American high school kids finds honesty amiss. And honestly, this story's twist is no misfit for most US kids post gone wrong preteen sexual tryst and parental lost grip let slip that this was predicted. What? Lily screams. Your mother thinks I had an abortion, which she paid for. Oh, don't worry. She was just surprised it hadn't happened to you earlier. <laughs> yeah, American high school, lovely stuff. Um, so I, I fled America back for the UK uh, at the age of 18, understandably. And uh, at the age of 21, for some entirely stupid reason, I went back. And uh, if you happen to be in Edinburgh this August, I'm doing a show called Around the World and Eight Mistakes. This is from that. And it's a show about the eight reasons never to move. And, and this is from the long, long section about why to never move to America. The night before the shit hit the fan, Mike and I were lying on my roof stargazing, lazily caning through a KB-8. Yo, you going to that party in Virginia tomorrow night? Because this guy Rodrigo will give us a free ride, he says. The next evening, I'm set for leaving when the phone rings. 
Millie, calling from Manchester to check in. Back home, we had a thing brewing, so when Rodrigo's car pulled in, I told him I'd make tracks with Max, but thanks for the offer. When Max and I get to the party, Mike is nowhere to be seen. Cell phone straight to messaging, no one knowing where he's been. Post-party day three, we found out on TV. The newscaster set the scene. Rodrigo drove, his 17-year-old girlfriend and Mike in tow. Halfway to the party, he parked the car. No explaining, he vacated. So the girlfriend and Mike stayed and waited. 30 minutes later, Rodrigo returns without a word, burning rubber as he sped out the suburb. The two passengers knew nothing till the bright white of the police searchlight confirmed the copter overhead was for them. Still, Rodrigo said nothing. It wasn't till interview room three when confronted with crime scene photography that Mike knew where Rodrigo had been. Nearly a mile and a half away, killing a kid of 14 over a brick of weed. But that was in Virginia and they'd driven from D.C. Crossing state lines rendered it a federal crime with mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines defining Mike as present at the scene of the crime and therefore tried as if he, too, had pulled the trigger. Mike's crime was taking a free ride from the wrong guy as, but for a phone call, so would have I. Mike's sentence was 20 to life. Thank you. Poetry is an awkward thing. You never know whether to clap. Um, I just got back from doing a tour in California a couple weeks ago. And they have this amazing thing in the States where if you've just written something new, so it still needs, you know, being thrown in front of audiences and testing and stuff, you walk to the mic and you just go, new shit. And the whole audience echoes back, new shit. And everyone understands that the expectation kind of drops from here to... So I wrote this yesterday, but um, I feel like it's appropriate. This is, uh, I was just asked to write a poem on, on advice. When we were 15, Ellie Famutimi scrolled, if you're going through hell, keep going, on my bedroom wall. For three years, I stared at that sentence every day. I have read it on the insides of my eyelids every time I've closed my eyes ever since. On the one occasion I risked telling a therapist everything, he said, I don't know how you've coped. How do you keep going? At 15, Ellie Famutimi was wiser than he. I never tried therapy again. Six years later, in a boggy tent strewn North Wales mud pit at 4am, a heroin addicted ex-convict named Rich gifts me wisdom. He says, Ultimately, your parents are supposed to provide you with an example. So I have to thank my father. He showed me exactly how not to be a dad. Rich is perceptive. He's comprehended it's all just perspective. And perspective is determined. How you choose to view things is deliberate. The day I graduated high school, the man I most look up to gave me a card which said... Always travel in the direction opposite to the tour bus. 
I have been stumbling through scrublands ever since. This relentless quest for the adventurous has inevitably exposed me to harrowing things. Age 20, I saw an entire village massacred in front of me in the middle of the night. And I, I did nothing to stop it. For nearly a decade, I felt guilty for my life. Repenting my survival, there was no greater disrespect I could have shown to the dead. Self-indulgently, I'd let myself rewrite history till it was all about me. I didn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. How you choose to view things is deliberate. If you're going through hell, keep traveling. You never know when a slight perspective shift reveals an unexpected side exit. Thank you. Since Edinburgh, Sophia hasn't stopped. She has been touring around the world in eight mistakes around the world. She kicked off that tour at the Roundhouse in Camden and she's currently over in the United States doing it there. Check out her Facebook page, which is Sophia Walker Spoken Word, to keep informed on what she's doing, where she's performing, where that show is, and get along and see it. You can find us on Facebook as well, so like us or friend us over on Facebook. We're also on Twitter, at Stand Up For Tragedy. And you can find details of our next live show, which we're really looking forward to. Over there, you'll find details of our next live show, which we're really looking forward to. This year, Stand Up Tragedy is going to be putting some tragedy into the Christmas spirit in our own unique way. We'll be having ourselves a tragic little Christmas. And it's a fundraiser because we want to give a Christmas present to Arts Emergency. They are an amazing organisation who describe themselves as standing up for the arts and humanities in education, supporting non-conventional route students and fundraising to promote the study of culture and humanity. You can find more about that at www.arts-emergency.org or follow them on Twitter at Arts Emergency. So come and join us. Tickets are available already. You can find them on our website. If you get them in advance, they are £5 or £7 if you want the first issue of the Stand Up Tragedy fanzine, the sale of which will also be part of our Christmas present to Arts Emergency. Hopefully see you then, and until next time, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins and recorded by Stephen Harvey. The music was produced by Sam Wilkinson, who can be contacted at radiohuan at yahoo.com. And our outro music was made by the reactionaries and George Buffett.